You know, earlier this spring in Punjab, India, the northern part of India, uh, they saw something remarkable. The sky cleared, and for the first time in 30 years, uh, people were able to see the Himalayan mountains, the snow-capped peaks of the Himalayan mountains. If you were 30 years or under, you would never been able to have seen the, this sight. Why? Because of the stay-at-home orders. All the traffic ceased. The smog cleared up. 71% of it went away, and they were able to see the spectacular sight of the Himalayan mountains. A spectacular view once the smog cleared. We've all lost a lot because of the COVID-19 um, pandemic, and uh, it, it's been discouraging to us. But perhaps we've gained some unexpected blessings and even opportunities because of this as well. The Word tells us in Psalms 46, Be still and know what? God says, Be still and know that I am God. When the traffic clears, when the smog of our busy, hectic lives kind of dissipates, then we get a clear view of the face of God and it is beautiful unexpected blessings perhaps other unexpected blessings during this 10 week period has been that we uh, have been able to gather more with friends and family members um, again a clear view of God a friend of mine said regarding seeing God more clearly and on June by June 30 said I will have read through the Bible on my Bible app I've learned how to truly follow Christ for the past this past few months it's a lot better than living for the world perhaps another unexpected blessing would be a realignment of our highest priorities things that really matter things that will last forever and maybe another blessing would be a gained appreciation for the body of Christ. You know, we haven't been able to gather together for a long time. And maybe we're beginning to miss it, or we miss it a considerable amount. We've taken it for granted. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We've had to give up some things. Things, perhaps, that we can't keep but perhaps we've been gaining unexpected, unexpected blessings and opportunities for the kingdom of God. How have you seen God working in your life these past number of weeks? What have you learned? What have you come away with? How, how do you think you've changed? Have you used this opportunity for something good? Well, the disciples had experienced three lifetimes worth of drama during the last three years that they spent with Jesus while uh, following him. They left everything to follow Jesus. They experienced spectacular supernatural miracles right before their eyes. They, they had hopes and dreams that they had never dreamt that were far exceeded what they could ever expect of their lives. But then the unthinkable happened. They watched their dreams come crashing down overnight when they saw their Savior being crucified on the cross. But on the third day, he was back. 
Jesus came back and he was arisen. And he promised his disciples his authority, his power to do his will. And then we come to Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, these disciples had great expectations and aspirations. What do you suppose they were? Hey, Jesus, Jesus, now that you conquered death, now that you're living again, are you going to kick some Roman butt? Are you going to send them heading off to where they should belong, back to Rome? And can we join you in this endeavor? Well, that's not how Jesus responded to his disciples' question. Rather, he, uh, he said, you know what? This is how I'm going to restore Israel. He answered in a very unexpected way. He said in verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, be patient. Soon you're going to be empowered to do what you were created to always do. You're going to be empowered to do mission for the kingdom of God. So how would the early church in Acts be mobilized into mission? so that they could be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. How would they be mobilized? Ironically, through a crisis. Acts 8, we read that Saul, Saul of Tarsus, he began to destroy the church through persecution, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. He forced these new Christians to leave their homes and their home country into foreign lands. They had to scatter through persecution. This would certainly not be the plans that the disciples had in mind for furthering the gospel and building the kingdom of God. It completely disrupted their lives. They would have rather chosen to remain in Jerusalem and make this magnificent, glorious temple their hub of activity. Everything would have emanated from there, and the gospel of Jesus Christ would, would start in Jerusalem and then just go to the world as people would come to Jerusalem for their annual festivals. They would see the might of God. But this is not how it played out. In fact, in 35, 36 years from this point, that magnificent temple was destroyed. It was annihilated by enemy peoples. The disciples would have to learn that God's plan to carry out the gospel would be, um, it wouldn't be through this temple, but it would be through them. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Apostle Paul, who used to be Saul, persecuting the church, the converted Apostle Paul, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 3 to the letter of Corinth, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? You 
are God's temple. Well, what are your greatest aspirations and expectations during this COVID-19 pandemic? Could, it, could they be, Lord, when are you ever going to restore our lives back to normalcy? When are we able to go back to work? When are we able to compete in sports again? When are we able to uh, go back to church so that we can worship as normal? I wonder if God would give us an unexpected answer like he gave his disciples. Namely, my church has never been closed. The question we might have is, when are you going to open up the church, God? And his response is, my church has never been closed. It's always been open. We are going to regather June 7th, Lord willing. But we're not going to reopen because the church has always been open. I'm grateful for President Trump's uh, announcement that places of worship are essential places. I'm grateful for that, and it is true. However, since the place of worship here has been closed down, worship hasn't been closed down. We've been able to worship anywhere, in our homes, on the streets, in our cars. In fact, in John 4, when the Samaritan woman met Jesus at the well, she was, she was thinking out loud when she said, Our ancestors, Jesus, worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews, you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She said, man, we're disqualified to really worship in the appropriate way because we're Samaritans. To which Jesus responded, woman, believe me, a time is coming when we will worship, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. In the same way that Jesus told his disciples, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, he is telling us that you are the church. The church is not a building. The church is my people. A friend from Illinois wrote, we as a Christian community are open 24-7 and are not confined to a single location or property. We're scattered. We're the scattered body of Christ and fully the body of Christ present and at work in the neighborhood, in the community, and in the world. And this may be God's unexpected opportunity for us something that we can learn during this pandemic. You see, an inward-focused church where everything has to happen inside the walls, well, that is a dying church. But an outwardly-focused church is a thriving church. I think many unchurched unbelievers view people who are raised or who attend church in the same way that we might view people who belong to an Isis temple or a Masonic lodge which aren't bad organizations. I'm not making a commentary on that, other than they're secretive, they're exclusive, they're mysterious. In all of my life, I've never been invited into a Masonic Lodge or an ISIS temple. I served as a youth pastor in Salina, Kansas, and there on Santa Fe, 
right in the heart of town is this big Masonic monstrosity of a building, Masonic temple. The only thing I know about Masons or Shriners are that they come out at least one day a week, parade day, and they drive around in their little carts, and they're dressed up like clowns. And another day of the year, they have the Shriners Bowl, where they uh, high school football, all-star game. And those are good things. I know that they have a Shriners Hospital, and I know that they do good things in the world. But they're mysterious. And could it be that unbelievers who don't go to church look at church people in the very same way? We're mysterious. We're exclusive. We're uninviting. We eat at Pizza Hut on Sunday afternoons after church is out, and we're dressed in our Sunday best while they're eating over here in a booth. And they listen to us, they look at us, but they don't feel invited into our world. They feel like they're excluded, perhaps. Church is oftentimes about us versus them, and that's not God's intention. The church is never closed. The church is to be scattered into the world. And there's even a a lower likelihood that an unbeliever will just wander inside church doors on a Sunday morning looking for the truth. Could it be God's intention that the gospel of Jesus is spread through his church more during times like this as we're scattered away from the hub? Could it be that that is why more Bibles have been sold during this pandemic? Could it be that's why the internet highway of church services are blowing up? Could it be that that KJIL Christian radio station They've increased their listeners during the month of April from 40,000 to 55,500 listeners. Could it be that churches are giving more sacrificially, more externally to mission and to ministries? Wouldn't it be great if the year 2020 would not be known as the year of COVID-19, but the year of revival, where more people came to Christ during this time? because the church was being more the church, like salt in the world. And this is what Jesus meant when he gave us his marching orders to be witnesses in the world. Could it be that the church is at its best when it's scattered, when it's the salt of the earth, when it's the light of the world, when we're acting the way we're supposed to act? Could it be that we're more effective and the gospel is more receptive in our driveways or on our sidewalks when we're taking walks or when we're in Walmart in the aisles or when we're in the coffee shops sitting down could it be that people are more receptive to hearing the good news of the gospel when the church is being the church the true church is never closed in fact we're being shaped to be the true church during this time on Monday through Saturday and not just on Sundays. Now, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't gather to worship together in churches like this. In fact, we're commanded to gather and worship. The believers went to the temple, and then they also met in their homes. And that's what made the church grow, the worship and the fellowship. But the purpose of gathering and celebrating together is that we may encourage one another in the Lord so that the church can go out into the world the rest of the week and be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's an unexpected opportunity. 
And the, the second unexpected blessing or opportunity could be a greater awareness that Jesus is still sitting on the throne. Man, we can get so discouraged, so distraught, so lonely during this time. In, in verse 9 of chapter 1 of Acts, after he said this, Jesus was taking up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And little-known extra-biblical word from Bartholomew to Thaddeus was, Thaddeus, I think I've over-medicated, as they watched Jesus ascend like this. It would have been quite the sight to see Jesus ascend right before their eyes, right? But why did Jesus depart in such a magnificent, spectacular, supernatural way? Was it because he was so anxious to get home to heaven, you know, and, and sit on his throne and, and be in comfort again, return to normalcy? Man, I'm glad that 33 years road trip is over to earth. No, that's not why he did so. He did so because he wanted to demonstrate that he would come back in a spectacular way as well. He demonstrated to his disciples that I am now going to ascend to be with my father, to sit at his right hand, to sit on the throne and reign over the universe. He told his disciples in John 16 earlier, he said, it is good that, I, that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, or in the amplified version, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, the Holy Spirit will not come back to you. He said, it's good that I go away. Unless I go away, this spirit will not come back to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus returned to heaven to reign on his throne over every king. He, reigned, he, he was to reign as king over every king, every prince, every president, every premier on this earth. He's on the throne to reign as Lord over every spirit, over every power, over every principality of darkness that roams the, in the unseen world. Jesus is in control, and he reigns on his throne forevermore. Jesus had to come to earth because in Genesis, in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And when they did so, they forfeited that which was entrusted to them, namely to rule over the earth. But they handed it over to the deceiver. And so Jesus had to come back to redeem that which was lost, that which was taken away or given to the deceiver, to Satan. And he did so by the price of his death, the penalty of Adam and Eve's sin and our sin. He died on the cross, but then he conquered death by raising from the dead when he redeemed his creation. Rightfully and justly, he redeemed his creation. When I felt isolated and frustrated and discouraged over these past weeks, and when I turned to God's word, God met me time and time again by reminding me of passages where he is in control. He is the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent one. He is the one who reigns. Daniel 2, I read, Praise be to the God, the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings, and he raises up others as he wills. Isaiah 40, he brings princes to naught. He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. 
No sooner are we planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. They are nothing, these world leaders are nothing but chaff compared to our omniscient and omnipotent God who sits on the throne, Jesus Christ. Disciples, just don't stand there looking up, the angel said. You're looking for the right person, but you're looking him to do it in the wrong way, what you expect him to do. He has a different plan. Although he is no longer with you physically, he's going away for something better. In Acts 1.5, Jesus said, For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had earlier told his disciples, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. What did he mean that we will do greater things than he did? How can we improve on Jesus healing the blind or raising the dead or healing the leper or walking on the water? I think what Jesus meant is the greater things will be greater in magnitude, in scope. In the same sense that in Acts chapter 2, um, day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up to pray, empowered by this Holy Spirit that Jesus promised, 3,000 came to Christ that day. That was, that was way more than in Jesus' three years of ministry walking the earth in Jerusalem and in Judea and Galilee. 3,000 came to Christ, greater in scope and magnitude, these things that we do. Furthermore, the gospel spread beyond the little sliver of Jerusalem, Samaria, and Galilee to the ends of the earth, to Ju Ju uh, Judah, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> so we do things, um, we're called to do things in greater magnitude as the church spread out, scattered throughout the world. And Jesus is still reminding his church that even during crises like this, he still sits on the throne. And he reminds us of this unexpected opportunity that he's in control. And then quickly and finally, I think one final unexpected opportunity is this. We are called to think differently. And we're not only called, we are empowered to think differently. We're endowed with hope. Acts 1.11, the same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven, he will come back the same way that you've seen him go into heaven, the angel told his disciples, the disciples. Uh, this is hopeful news. Jesus is going to return victorious. I was watching the movie Miracle or Miracle on Ice, I think. It's about the 1980 hockey team, USA Olympic hockey team, that upset the Russians, the Soviets, for the gold medal. And I was, I was watching this two days ago. I, I caught it in the middle, and I was watching some of the matches, and and uh, I was on the edge of my seat again, and I was all excited and anxious. And guess what? The Americans won again. And every time that I watch it, over and over again, the Americans win the gold medal. Sometimes I think 
we're living in a time when we think we're being defeated. We're the underdogs. We have these, these powers that are over us that are far more powerful. And we're, we're in the losing end. But no matter how it feels, no matter how it looks, remember, you are on the victorious team. Jesus Christ conquered death. He rose again. He ascended. He reigns. And he reigns through us, his church, to be witnesses of his gospel and his kingdom throughout the world. And he will come back and take us home forever and ever. We're on the victorious team. We need to think differently. We, we don't need to hang our heads thinking, oh man, this world is so messed up and I can't believe these people are opposing us. James 1, 2, James tells us, consider all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds or various kinds. This pandemic would count as a trial of many kinds. Consider all joy. What does it mean to consider? It means to count it. It means to think differently about it. It means to have a new perspective and new outlook as you look at the junk that's happening around us and the pain. Think differently. Think with hope. Philippians 4, Paul says when he was sitting in prison, as he wrote his letter, Rejoice in the Lord always, church. I'll say it again, rejoice. And then he said later on, I've learned to be content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in prison or free. And then in Romans 8, he wrote to church in Rome, you know, God's working all things out for the good. All things, not just some things. All things out for the good for those who love the Lord. And I believe unbelievers are going to be attracted uh, to those who are filled with hope and joy, even in the midst of adversity. Rather than hang our head and complain, criticize and condemn. Peter wrote it this, he said it this way, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Rejoice. While in Ravensbrück, Auschwitz, Betsy and Corey Tenboom were thrown into a barracks with three levels of bedding, of trough-like bedding, and rancid hay uh, was their only source of comfort in there. And uh, one day as they were talking, Betsy said uh, to Corey, her sister, she said, Corey, we must remember to be thankful in all things. And, and Corey said, Betsy, the fleas, the lice, how can I be thankful in all circumstances? And as time went on, um, the guards stopped coming in, the armed guards even the supervisors stopped going into the barracks. Why? Because of the lice and the ticks and the fleas. And so Corey realized a couple weeks later, Betsy, I can be thankful even for these fleas because it's exactly these fleas that have kept the guards out and have allowed us to have true fellowship and prayer and true teaching of the word of God to these ladies. It's where many have met Christ for the first time. We have the freedom inside these rancid, con contaminated barracks. I can even be thankful for this in all circumstances. Can we be thankful even in the midst of this coronavirus? 
Have you become aware of some unexpected blessings and opportunities that have come your way during this time? And three, we've noted today that the church has never been closed. The church is always open as long as there's a believer around. Secondly, Jesus, he still sits on the throne no matter how dire this world looks. Jesus is still in control sitting on the throne. And finally, we're called to think differently and we're empowered to do so with hope. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being here today. I thank you for uh, the words that you've spoken through your word, through the apostle in Acts, through Jesus, through the disciples' experience. I thank you for encouraging us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we can take these words given to us by your spirit and your word and we can apply them to our lives. I pray, God, that we'll be effective uh, to do as you are calling us to do, to be your witnesses, empowered by uh, your Spirit as you sit on the throne. And I pray, God, that you empower us to think differently with hope and joy so that when others see us, they'll see, other, they'll see those of us who have hope even during stressful times like this. And they'll be attracted to you because of that. Pray these things in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.